Hi, welcome to episode 5 of A Thousand Shades of Green, a literature podcast celebrating contemporary poets and writers. I'm Susan Richardson, your host and author of the poetry collections Things My Mother Left Behind from Potter's Grove Press and Tiger Lily, an ekphrastic collaboration with Jane Cornwell, published by JC Studio Press. I also write the blog Stories from the Edge of Blindness. I'm super excited for today's episode, celebrating the beautifully twisted, wonderfully wicked writing of Suzanne Craig Wytock. Suzanne is the author of four novels, Smile, The Dome, The Seventh Devil, and The Devil You Know, all published by Bookland Press, two short story collections, Feasting Upon the Bones and At the End of It All, both published by Potter's Grove Press, and the humorous nonfiction publication, What Any Normal Person Would Do. Suzanne is also the editor-in-chief of Dark Winter Literary Magazine, an Ontario-Canada-based online publication featuring short fiction and poetry, as well as the founder of Dark Winter Press, which publishes short story and poetry collections, as well as novels and novellas from authors in Canada and around the world. I was first introduced to Suzanne's writing through her humor blog, My Dang Blog, which is one of those blogs that is so hysterical, I find myself in tears of laughter with every post. Her comedic timing and nuance is impeccable, and no matter how rough a given week may be, I know I can always find joy and laughter when I read her Sunday posts. I hadn't been reading my dang blog for long when I discovered that Suzanne also writes novels and stories, which offer a palette that ranges from twisted and frightening to richly sorrowful and poignant, all ripe with the flavors of her immense imagination. And even though she has been known to refute it, her poetry is also supremely beautiful. Suzanne's range is unrivaled, she is a writer like no other, and it is my absolute pleasure to share her words with you today. Suzanne has such a diverse and vast catalog of work, which made it really hard to choose just one piece, but I decided on a story from her first collection, Feasting Upon the Bones, a collection of twisted tales published by Potter's Grove Press. This is Mr. Death Comes to Call. On the day that Mr. Death came to call, Ernest, Ernie to his friends, had no interest in sitting down for a parlay. Forget it he said, waving his free hand dismissively. I'm only 52, and besides, I've got this model I have to finish. Ernest was, in fact, quite renowned in local circles for his meticulous painting of tiny mythological figures, and as everyone knew, you never interrupted Ernest when he was hard at work. 
Mr. Death picked a piece of invisible lint off his very long hooded robe and sighed. The sound made Ernest look up from the large illuminated magnifying glass that he used for what he liked to call detail work. Really? Ernest raised his eyebrows in surprise. Is that what all the fashionable grim reapers are wearing these days? Seems a little anachronistic to me. Mr. Death took a step back and examined himself, holding his arms out at his sides and swishing the wide sleeves of his robe. Whatever do you mean? he asked in a gravelly voice. Mr. Death wasn't used to conversing, especially with the souls of the doomed. What's wrong with it? Well, for starters, Ernest laid down his fine-tipped brush and screwed the lid onto the jar of scorpion green that he was using to embellish the morning star held by the orc he was in the process of finishing. The color is quite drab. I mean... You're death, aren't you? You might want to try something with a little more flash. Mr. Death considered this for a moment. Point taken. But where exactly can I find something with a little more flash? There aren't any stores where I come from. Ernest began to speak, then paused. He was nothing if not a calculating fellow, and he had a sudden idea. I'll tell you what, he said. I'll take you round to the shops, and in exchange, you give me another twenty years. Mr. Death laughed. Another twenty years? I don't think so, mate. Come on, then. He pulled a tarnished pocket watch out of the confines of the robe and flipped the cover open. Time's a-ticking. Ernest snickered. He couldn't help himself, even under these dire circumstances. Mr. Death looked at him, disconcerted. What? Ernest tried, unsuccessfully, to smother a laugh. (laughs) A pocket watch, he said derisively. Not even a belova? Honestly, it's just sad, really. Mr. Death hastily pocketed the watch, slightly embarrassed. Fifteen years. Ernest unscrewed the lid of the scorpion green and flourished his fine-tipped brush. Twenty, not one day less. There's a lovely menswear store on the high street. It's just a ten-minute walk from here. Mr. Death weighed his options. Fine. But if you think I'm planning on walking anywhere looking like this, you're sadly mistaken. He made a flourish of his own, and both he and Ernest disappeared. They reappeared almost instantaneously in TaylorMade and Son, a shop for discerning gentlemen, scaring the daylights out of Mr. Taylor the Elder himself and causing the tape measure that he normally draped casually around his shoulders to fly off into a corner. "'Good heavens!' Mr. Taylor shrieked. "'Ernest Buckletree, what is the meaning of this?' Ernest smiled expansively and gestured at Mr. Death. 
I've brought my friend here to the finest tailor shop in town to have a bespoke suit made. Bespoke? Mr. Death queried Soto voice. Custom, of course, Ernest whispered back. My dear Mr. Taylor, he continued at normal volume, this is, well, Death. Mr. Death. I don't believe he has a first name. Mr. Death shook his head. Mr. Taylor's eyes grew wide. I, I, I see, he stammered, hurrying over to the counter to retrieve his measuring tape and redraping it around his neck. That explains the cowl. He reached out and rubbed the edge of Mr. Death's sleeve gingerly between his index finger and thumb. That's rather rough fabric. I can't suppose it's very comfortable. It's sackcloth, Mr. Death replied, looking somewhat affronted by Mr. Taylor's fondling of the garment. Mr. Taylor inhaled sharply and let go. And no, it's not very comfortable at all, if I'm being completely honest. Well, Mr. Taylor mused, I have some nice wools, but I don't believe they'd be any more agreeable. Cashmere would be much better, I should think, but it's quite expensive. He paused, regarding Mr. Death's countenance expectantly. Mr. Death sighed again. I can give you three extra years. Five years, Mr. Taylor responded without hesitation. And I'll throw in a silk shirt, matching pocket handkerchief, and other assorted sundries, including the, um, unmentionables. The deal having been deemed acceptable to both parties, Mr. Taylor whipped the measuring tape from around his neck and began taking down dimensions. Once he was finished, he said, Right, not a problem. I'll have it ready for you in two days. Two days, Mr. Death exclaimed, once he and Ernest were back on the street. He seemed quite put out. That's a very quick turnaround, let me assure you, Ernest mollified his companion. You can't just apparate a cashmere suit out of thin air, you know. Now stop sulking. We have other stops to make. Next on the list is a new pair of shoes. Honestly, those sandals you're wearing have seen better days, I must say. Mr. Death looked down. Ernest was right. They were worn and grimy, and he tried subtly to hide them under the hem of his robe. Never mind, Ernest assured him kindly. It won't be long before you're a new man, or reaper. It took several stops, but soon Mr. Death was kitted out, and very reasonably, too. The clerk at the shoe store got an extra three years, the jeweler received two for an exceptionally fine wristwatch, and the local optometrist upped his life expectancy by another four years to compensate for both a quick eye exam and to assure Mr. Death that he wasn't in the least myopic and a pair of mirrored aviator sunglasses that Ernest insisted would add a shade of cool to the entire ensemble. Together, Mr. Death and Ernest vanished and then rematerialized in Ernest's sitting room. 
I'll leave the other parcels here until I return, Mr. Death announced. He pulled the pocket watch out of the folds of his robe to check the time. Ernest cleared his throat and gave Mr. Death a pointed look. Right, Mr. Death laughed self-deprecatingly as he held up his arm to check the exceptionally fine wristwatch. I've got to get back to work. Can't hang about here when there are so many souls to gather. I'll be back in two days. He was on the verge of snapping himself away when he stopped. Here, he said, holding out the pocket watch to Ernest. You keep it. That's very kind of you. Ernest placed the pocket watch on the mantelpiece. See you in two days. With that, Mr. Death was gone. Ernest shrugged to himself and resumed detailing the Orkian Morning Star. Like his grim new friend, he also had a lot of work to do. Two days later, Mr. Death suddenly reappeared. This time, Ernest was ready and had the kettle on the stove to make them both a cup of tea. He had also picked up the new cashmere suit, as well as the promised assorted sundries and unmentionables from Mr. Taylor the Elder. He gestured to the guest bedroom. Please, he said, help yourself. There's a long mirror in the room as well, so you can see how stylish you look. While Mr. Death was preparing to model his modern outfit, Ernest busied himself by putting the final touches on his elven army. Runefang steel and ethereum blue certainly made their cloaks pop. Finally, Mr. Death emerged from the guest room, looking rather shy. What, what, well, what do you think? he asked. Ernest put his fine-tipped paintbrush down carefully and gave a soft gasp. My, he said, you look absolutely wonderful, exactly how the Grim Reaper of today should appear. Give a spin, he commanded, and Mr. Death started to twirl around, but then stopped. Wait, the reaping fashionista held up one finger. Ernest nodded, and Mr. Death reached into an interior suit coat pocket, pulling out the mirrored aviator sunglasses and putting them on with a certain amount of panache. Quite right, Ernest smiled. You'll put all the other grim reapers to shame. Mr. Death's smile wavered. There aren't any other grim reapers. I'm the only one. Well, never you mind that, Ernest reassured him. You look marvelous and unique. All those souls you'll be going to collect will be so impressed when they see you in that bespoke suit and fine Italian leather shoes. And the sunglasses, such a fashion statement. Mr. Death smiled proudly and preened a bit in the kettle's reflection. Finally, he stood upright and announced, Well, I must be off. I can't thank you enough for everything you've done. I feel like a new reaper. Think nothing of it, Ernest replied happily. See you in twenty years. With that, Mr. Death vanished from sight, and Ernest picked up his vine-tipped brush, intent on finishing his elven army by Thursday lunch. 
Twenty years later, Ernest was sitting in his favorite chair and enjoying a nice glass of sherry when suddenly Mr. Death appeared. Has it been twenty years already? Ernest asked, flipping open the lid of the pocket watch and checking the time. He took one last sip of sherry and placed the glass carefully on the side table. I'm afraid it is, said Mr. Death. At least I think so. This watch doesn't seem to be keeping time as well as it used to. Oh, my, Ernest answered, looking Mr. Death up and down. I say, what on earth has happened to you? What do you mean, answered his reaper friend. Well, your suit is looking rather worse for wear, and those shoes. What have you been doing, playing football in them? They're covered in mud. Mr. Death looked terribly embarrassed. It's been a while, he said, gesturing broadly at himself. As he did, a button from one of his cuffs flew off and landed in the fireplace. Oh, dear. He retrieved it and attempted to blow the ash off it, but to no avail. Ernest's face lit up. I have an idea, he said. Mr. Death pocketed the button and waited. Tailor-made and sons is still in business. What say we make a visit to Mr. Taylor the Younger? He's not so young anymore, but he still makes as fine a cashmere suit as his father ever did. And there's a soul-seeker shoe shop on the same block. And what would you require in exchange? asked Mr. Death. Another twenty years? Ernest began to speak, then paused. Why don't we play that by ear? he asked. Even at the age of seventy-two, he was still a calculating fellow, and he knew, better than anyone, the value of a new suit. So, for today's closing poem, I've chosen a piece that appeared in Suzanne's literary journal, Dark Winter Lit, and which she very generously nominated for Best of the Net. It's called Gold Ribbon. You prop your fairy princess on a pedestal of porcelain and pluck out her voice with fat thumbs, believing you have stolen her grit, tamed her teeth. For your delight, she spins and mesmerizes, poised, patient, plodding. She wears a mask of tiger's eye, secured in place to fool you entices you into the palm of her hand, purrs an intoxicating tune. You grin like a hunter who has mistaken a captor for prey and climb head first into her trap. She ties a gold ribbon around your neck, leads you into a field of chrysanthemums, promises to show you her face as soon as the sun begins to set. The taste of victory fills your ravenous mouth. You were the conquistador, eating handfuls of fiery petals, waiting to claim your prize. 
Moments before dusk blooms against your eyelids, she sneaks out the back door, sheds her porcelain skin, and bites down hard on the air. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of A Thousand Shades of Green, celebrating the sensational, spicy, and imaginative work of Suzanne Craig Whitehawk. It's been my privilege to read her incredible story to you today. You can find out more about Suzanne in the show notes. A Thousand Shades of Green was created and presented by me, Susan Richardson, All artwork was created by Jane Cornwell. A Thousand Shades of Green is produced by Joe Richardson.